Town Bank Mortgage, NMLS number 512138, is an equal housing lender. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And now, the man born with a 5 o'clock shadow and with the NMLS number 2028201. He is a gentleman. He is a scholar. He is... Tyler Crawley. Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am the aforementioned host of this podcast, Tyler Crawley, and did want to give you a heads up. So, of course, being who I am, um, I have decided to make some changes to the podcast. Nothing big um, other than I'm just going to, which I've kind of been doing anyway. Um, I'm not going to do it five days a week, which (laughs) I think I've only done that like maybe four times in the history of this podcast over two years have I been able to do all five in one week. So because of that, and I've realized that, well, yeah, it's hard to do a podcast every single weekday when you have an, another job. So I did a radio show. I did a morning show. Um, that was my job was to do the morning show. And even then, I didn't always do five a week. <laughs> you know, look at Howard Stern. He doesn't need he hasn't done five shows a week since he was like 40 years old. Um, so I'm going to pull it back a little bit and uh, do a Monday show, a Wednesday show and a Friday show. And so I know there's going to be some overlap um, on sort of the Friday show and the Monday show because we don't always get a big report on Friday, but you know, I was looking at the data and I can do five shows, but I think just focusing on the bigger stories that are impacting the housing market, mortgage markets, and the overall economy, I think that's kind of the way to go. And plus, I think it makes more sense to do a longer show three days a week than to do kind of a 15 to 20 minute show every day, maybe do a 30 minute show three times a week. So that's that's kind of what I'm shooting for. That's the goal. We will see if anything changes moving forward. So let's start with the big story. This one, of course, out on Tuesday, the hotly anticipated. And I mean that with a little pun involved, um, pun intended, as they say, uh, the hotly anticipated CPI report, Consumer Price Index. It was supposed to show the continued slowing of inflation, which it did. But here's the problem. It was hotter than expected. Here's what was kind of amazing. So Thursday night, Nick Timoros from the Wall Street Journal, also known as the Fed Whisperer. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you 100% should. Or you don't. if you don't read um, his articles, you should. Um, great writer. But he also, he's he's connected. He's, he is in the know. Uh, they call him the Fed Whisperer because he seems to have Jerome Powell's, um, I wouldn't say ear because he's not advising him. He's getting the advice. Uh, Jerome Powell, he's a direct line to Jerome Powell. And we saw that because remember when the Fed kind of made their announcement, I think it was when they were, they were going to go 75 bips instead of 50 bips. They went through him. He was the first one to report that, uh uh-oh, there's chatter that we could see a 75 basis point hike. So he definitely has a direct line to Jerome Powell. In fact, everyone always kind of makes a joke about it whenever they have the press conference because whenever you watch the Fed press conferences, 
the reporters always identify themselves, which is always kind of funny because, you know, the majority of them are, you know, no, but it, 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 you know, it's for, it's important for the reporter to, to say who they are. So we all know the people that don't know who all these people are, but they always kind of joke when Nick Tamaros um, introduces himself. Cause it's like everyone, everyone knows that Jerome Powell knows who Nick Timoros is, but so here's why I'm bringing that up. So on Monday night, he tweeted something. He tweeted a fed report from 2019. It was a report they did and it was called, and now I'm blanking on it. It was called like residual seasonality. Yeah. I think it was residual seasonality. And basically what it was, it was pointing out that inflation tends to be higher in the beginning of the year versus the ending of the year. That's what this report showed. And so he tweeted that out and kind of made mention that the inflation number could be hotter than they were expecting. And then later, um, what, I think I think it was Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, he tweeted out some new estimates from like Goldman Sachs or I think City and someone else pointing out that they were thinking the number was going to be higher. And so a lot of people, including myself, were saying, does Nick know something? <laughs> and does he know this number is going to be hotter? And so I said, okay, I think the number is going to be hotter than they're projecting. And 100% it was. So that wasn't me. That was me seeing the clear telegraph <laughs> from Nick Timoros over at the Wall Street Journal. So that was kind of the downside. So inflation did slow, but it, it, slow, it slowed the slowing, if that makes sense. <laughs> the, the slowing slow. That's, that's what I should be saying here. So the consumer price index for all um, urban consumers was year over year up 6.4% in the month of January to start, of course, 2023. That was down slightly. I mean, just barely from the 6.5% number that we saw in December and the good news is this is the lowest level that we have seen since October 2021. Here's the bad news. Consumer prices were up 0.5% from December until January. That was significantly higher than the 0.1% increase that we saw in December and was the biggest increase month over month that we've seen since October 2022. And here's the other problem. A 0.5% increase month over month on an annual annualized, I should say is 6%. That's bad. You know, a one, you know, 0 0.1, 0 0.2%. That's what you want to be seeing, but a 0.5% annualized is 6%. That's kind of where we are, which even though we saw a little bit of a dip, it's telling us that inflation is still at this 6% level it's not a adjustment for the you know year over year. Oh, well, the numbers were what they were before. They were so high. No, no, no. Prices are moving up at a 6% annualized rate to start 2023. That is bad. That is not good. Economists were correct on the monthly increase. They were projecting a half a point increase, but they thought that year over year inflation was going to fall to 6.2%. So a big miss there. And this is not a good report. I mean, in any way, shape, or form. Um, the core inflation was up 5.6% year over year. 
that was also higher than they were expecting. They were expecting about a 5.5% number. And the real takeaway from this report was housing. All about housing. In fact, what's funny, so you know, the core index is everything except for energy and food, the two most volatile items in the index. So now there's a new one that I've never heard about until recently. It's called Supercore. And that's everything except for food, energy, and housing. <laughs> so like what they're doing is that as these items that continue to rise, um, they just keep pulling them out of the pot, like trying to make it work. And I've, I've never heard anyone talk about Supercore before. Like I, I've never heard it. Now all of a sudden people are like, Supercore. And one of the reasons why you want to pull housing out right now is shelter costs just continue to climb a 0.7% increase year over year, or excuse me, month over month. This is down slightly from the 0.8% increase that we saw in December, but it now pushed shelter costs to an all-time high of 7.9%. We've never seen numbers like this. Normally, shelter costs are like 1-2%, like maybe two and a half on a really, really bad reading. But 7.9, that's just, it's crazy. And it was noted by a lot of reporters out there that shelter costs are by far the biggest contributor to the monthly increase, accounting for almost half the rise. And, you know, shelter costs are, I think, a third of the index just in normal conditions. But the numbers jumped so high that now it's making up a half of this increase. I mean, this is this is nuts. I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? I mean, it's one of the biggest problems that we're facing right now. Home prices and affordability are pushing people's you know housing cost budgets to the max. And it's leaking into other areas. The more expensive housing gets, the less discretionary income you have. And so it's becoming a bigger part of people's home budgets and it's why something needs to be done. And we, and we know what the answer is. As I've said on the podcast, many it's building more. It's building more and more and more, making it easier for builders to build, getting rid of some of the red tape. We've seen commodity prices fall. That's good, but it's still difficult to build, and we need to make it easier. And the NIMBYs need to, need to be pushed away from the debate entirely. They, they should have no say at all. Um, other, of course, I mentioned food prices continue to remain in double digits. They jumped half a point month over month and are now sitting at 10.1% year over year. That is the lowest level since May though, May, 2022. <laughs> so it's, they're falling, uh, but they're still double digit territory and energy prices jumped 2% month over month, pushing the annual rate now to 8.7%. So here's kind of the bottom line. Inflation continues to slow but at a slower pace than most were expecting. January's dip was the smallest decline since September after the Fed Fed announcement in early February, markets reacted um, as if sort of the era of higher inflation was over. It was very bizarre. Still don't understand what happened. Um, The jobs report, when that came out and kind of put, 
everything into perspective and everyone kind of woke up from the trance they were in. Like, whoa, whoa wait, hold on, what's going on? Uh-oh, Powell's not going to lower rates of the jobs report like that. And then, of course, we saw bonds react and stocks react and the market sort of woke up to this realization. Well, this slowing decline will be another wake-up call to this realization that we are not returning to a normal rate environment, even though we kind of already are, I guess you would say sort of new normal that we were in over this last decade where we just saw crazy low rates. And if anyone thinks we're going back to, you know, 5% mortgage anytime soon, or excuse me, a, or yeah, 5% or a 4% mortgage, uh, it's, it's not going to happen. And, you know, there was a fascinating piece in Bloomberg on Tuesday where Connor said made this very argument. Uh, he wrote in Bloomberg, the strength in the housing market is an unwelcome development in the Federal Reserve's fight to lower inflation. What he talked about was, you know, mortgage demand jumping to start the year, uh, inventory prices continuing or inventory levels continuing to fall. They're not going up. Some markets, they are. Some markets, uh, Phoenix, Austin, some of the bigger markets, the sort of boom markets. I'm sure San Francisco is seeing some, some inventory levels jump. But nationally, inventory levels are falling. And buyers are, you know, jump backed in as we saw kind of rates move down in January. And that was not a welcome sign by the Fed. They are trying to cool off the housing market, which they have done a very good job of, as we talk about here on the podcast. But Sen wrote, that Fed Chairman Jerome Powell spoke last year about a need for a reset in the housing market. To the extent the Fed's tweaking of interest rates is meant to help balance the market, the evidence so far in 2023 is that a rate of 6% is too low. To keep the economy from overheating, mortgage rates around 6.5%. That was their closing level on Friday. Send rights get closer to the mark. And I mean, he's right. I mean, the housing market has been very resilient. And sure, I mean, things plummeted. Things plummeted at the end of 2022. December was a pretty horrible month. January, not so great. As someone in the housing market, I can attest to that. And what's what's interesting is, you know, I'm in the South. I'm in Southeastern North Carolina. And I saw kind of the bottom. And I was like, man, wow. This is crazy. And the South is making up like 60, 50 to 60% of real estate transactions. So I can't even imagine how little activity was happening in the Northeast, in the West, in places where the numbers are really depressed. But here's the thing. Things have been picking up to start the year. We saw a big jump. We talked about it here uh, mortgage demand, the weekly data that we get from the Mortgage Bankers Association. And that was backed up by a report from Black Knight, the Originations Market Monitor report. This comes out every month from Black Knight looking at rate locks. That, of course, is a stat that I think is usually more impressive than the weekly data that we get from the Mortgage Bankers Association because, of course, when someone's locking a rate, they're further along in the process versus just starting an application. But here's the thing. Rate locks actually jumped more than mortgage demand in the first month of 2023. And this followed a nine 
month declined. For nine straight months, rate locks fell month over month. And then we finally got an increase. And what an increase it was. Mortgage, or I should say rate lock volume jumped 32% from December, snapping a nine-month streak of declines. Now, despite the big jump in January, total rate lock volume, though, was still down 62% from the start of 2022. But you really got to break these numbers down because the start of 2022, things were still incredibly hot, a very manipulated market with regards to increased demand. So we're going to get into maybe more accurate comparison. So breaking it down, purchase locks were up 32%, rate term refis were up 37%, and cash outs were up 25%. That is month over month. Purchases now make up 85% of rate lock volume. That's not all that surprising. Here's what might be surprising. Credit scores. So with volume dropping to just crazy lows, especially from where we were. I mean, to go from super high to then bottoming out, you would think that credit scores would just plummet because there's going to be loan officers out there who are like, I need a loan. I will work with anybody who is interested in buying a home. And I'm sure that that could have been an issue. You know, this was 2006. Maybe that could have happened, but it's not. Credit standards during the boom got tighter. And now that things are slowing down, it's not like regulations are loosening up. In fact, you could actually argue that some investors out there are actually continuing to tighten standards. And so credit scores are continuing to remain relatively high. Uh, For example, buyers looking to buy a home in January had an average credit score of 729. That was actually up one point from December and is down slightly from the same time last year, just three points. So 729 was the average credit score for someone looking to buy a home in January. Now, when it came to rate term refis, we did see a big slide, nine points to 723. (laughs) So still at 723 uh, cash outs, They continued to drop, dropping four points to 687. So the worst of the bunch by far. I mean, you got purchases, 729. uh, Ray term refi, 723. Cash outs, 687. But I mean, that's the worst. Cash outs at 687. At 687. (laughs) Not exactly subprime, but the worst of the bunch. Um, And the average... Here's what's kind of amazing to me. The average for a conforming buyer. So someone doing a conforming loan, a loan that's being sold to Fannie and Freddie, the gold standard when it comes to to the mortgage biz. Um, The average for a conforming buyer was 749. (laughs) That's so crazy. It's almost at 750. That was the average (laughs) was 750. That's just 2006. And seven and eight, this is not all right. Yeah, <laughs> can you imagine having a seven forty nine credit score? They probably would have done your loan. They would have thought you were lying. 
in in uh, in 2007, the lead up to the housing crash, uh, and the average loan size was up slightly in January to 240 thousand. That was a one percent increase from December, and is down slightly about two percent from the same time one year ago. As I mentioned, this report backs up the weekly data that we get from the Mortgage Bankers Association. That you looked at that data they had mortgage demand up 28% from the beginning of January until the end. This 32%. But here's why you got to really kind of break the data down. So, I mean, we're at a three-year low with regards to rate lock volume. So a 32% from a three-year low still looks like a three-year low. It's not like, oh my gosh, we're back to where we were and... Uh, you know, April, or I should say probably March of 22. No, 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 no one's saying that. I think we're a little bit above December and maybe a little bit above November. Maybe. We might be tied a little bit under. It's kind of hard to, to read the bar graph. But these last couple of years have been insane. It's it's really kind of doing a disservice to to compare, you know, where the housing market is right now and where Jerome Powell wants the housing market to go versus where we were the last couple of years. Cause I mean, you know, we had a roller coaster at the beginning of 20, everyone thought, Oh my God, foreclosure crisis. It's going to be the end of housing as we know it. Then all of a sudden it became a gold rush. Everyone wanted to buy a house. We saw the most activity that we have ever seen. Just absolute insanity. And then things drastically cooled off <laughs> with the rate hikes that we saw last year in the mid to the end of last year. So let's compare where we are right now. So the, the market volume index is currently at an 82. That's where it is. That's only down 22% from the level reported in January of 2018. It was at 100. So this is why I was, you know, earlier we were talking about Connor Sen. You look at the bar graph and you're like, wow we are down, still down significantly from where we were six months ago, a year ago. But where are we with regards to a normalized housing market? We're only down about 22%. For me, 2018, I would think is a relatively normal housing market. And so you can see why Jerome Powell, who wants this housing reset, as he mentions it, is like, oh my gosh, we're we're almost back to like a normal housing market. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's not going to give me what I want. And so we are down significantly. Volume is down significantly from where we were six months ago, a year ago, 18 months, uh, two years, two and a half years. But we're only down 22%. So, and just to give you an idea, the, I was looking at the bar graph on Black Knight. From about mid-2020 until... You know, the rate hikes of about mid 2022, we were never below 200 with regards to the market volume index. So normal housing markets, 100. I mean, at some points it got to 300, 250. It was hovering around there for a long time. And then it you know finally fell under 200. And now here we are at 82. But that's where we that, that was normal for the last three years was like in a double what a normal housing market is. So you always got to put things into context. And, you know, I mentioned inventory earlier. Um, Every Monday we get data from Altos Research and just absolutely craziness 
happening with regards to inventory levels. Housing inventory fell 3% week over week, according to the latest report from Altos Research. They now have single family homes on the market across the whole country, 443,000. I think like a million, a little bit over a million is a normal housing market. We started 22, or excuse me, 23 at 500,000. It has slowly fallen to 443,000. We're down 11% from the start of this year. We're down 46% from the start of last year. And what's causing this? Well, buyers are coming back. That's what we've been talking about. Buyers are coming back. The housing market's coming back a little quicker than the Fed probably wanted. Just a few weeks ago, 30%. We had 30% fewer pending sales when compared to the previous year, 30%. There are now 291,000 single-family homes in contract across the country. That's 23% lower than what we saw last year. So we've already seen a jump from 30 to 23. This week, there were 13,000 new pending sales. That is only down 9% from last year. So we have seen down 30%, 23%, and now down 9%. <laughs> so we are on a path to be equal to where we were a year ago. That is bizarre. And not surprisingly, this uptick in sales, this is being caused by buyers, not so much a drop in supply. I mean, people are listing and there's not as many as we would expect, but it's mostly new buyers coming into the fray. This uptick in sales is putting upward pressure on prices. They climbed 1% to $418,200. That was the median sales price. Um, home prices are now up 3% from the start of the year. So we got inventory down 11% and we have home prices up 3%. The housing market, man. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, and not surprisingly, this was not expected to happen. Mike Simonson, CEO of Altos, noted that inventory falling close to all-time lows is not what they expected, saying in the release, after last fall, our models had assumed that inventory would bottom this year in January and would be climbing by about 1% to 2% weekly by now. Instead, a 3% drop. It's just, it's, it's, it's a bizarre time. Economists are going to look back on this time and just be flabbergasted about... <laughs> what is what is happening with our current economy i mean there's there's just there's no way i mean it's just it's so bizarre it's it's very it's very bizarre that's all that's all i will say and a lot of it is because of how hot the labor market continues to be that's why you haven't seen a real push on home prices to fall because there are people out there who when rates fall a little bit that's actually what Connor Sen wrote in his piece. He's like, you know, all that's happening when rates jump up with a hot labor market is it creates pent up demand. And so then when rates fall and all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more attractive to buy, buyers rush to go. Instead of if they were to say lose their job, which is a horrible thing to say, you're talking about people losing their jobs. But when that does happen, they, they're less rate sensitive. They're like, hey, you know, I lost my job. I can't afford a house. 
or I took a I took a, a worse job, unfortunately, and I can't afford a house. So it's no longer an issue about rate. Where right now rates fall a little bit, people are confident enough that you know they can lock that rate in and they can afford that house. They're comfortable in their job. And so that's why you see the Fed kind of pushing for a cooler labor market. I mean, that's that's the reality. And that's that's what kind of sucks about this whole situation is the way that you cool inflation in housing and everything else is a cooler labor market. That's how it works. Um, all right. So here's what's happening today. Uh, at 2 a.m., we're getting inflation in the UK. That's expected to have slowed to about 10.2%, thanks to a 0.4% drop month over month. At 7 a.m., we'll get mortgage demand data from the Mortgage Bankers Association. At 8.30, this is a big one. Retail sales are expected to jump 1.6% to start the year after a 1.1% decline in December. And then home builder confidence expected to rise for the second month at 10 a.m. to an index of 37. So after 12 months of declines, could we get two positive months for home builder confidence in a row? We will see. And then on Thursday, so we'll talk about all this data on Friday show. On Thursday, housing starts are projected to fall 1%. Building permits are expected to do the opposite, rise by 1%. And then here's a big one, producer prices are projected to slow significantly to 5.4%. I mean, that'd be big because that would put producer prices under where consumer prices are. That would be kind of bizarre because for the longest time, producer prices have been way above consumer prices. And now we've seen a big slowdown in producer. So that's a big report on Thursday. So we'll talk about all that on Friday's edition of Markets and Mortgages. And you guys remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.